we are bike welcome to another episode of the ace of spades podcast i am your host cam aka the ace of spades thanos aka the dynasty demigod aka the four time champion a k a mr okay i'm reloaded and i'm in a lab as always with the ace of spades leading score curtis aka kurt cash aka the ace of spades tracy mcgrady A.K.A. Danny's Big Homie. A.K.A. Mr. Take Your Best Player. Send Tay Brown into a rebuild and drop 300 on his head. Kurt, okay, before we get started, I'm feeling myself today, bro. We're a quarter through the season, and I'm looking back at all the takes we had over the summer, all the podcasts we did. All the predictions that we made. And like 80% of our predictions and the calls that we made, bro, they, they came true. They came to fruition. So I'm thinking for all these niggas in the league, bro, who doubted our knowledge or doubted our understanding of dynasty and our format and player projections, they need to go ahead and find them something safe to do, bro. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, you know. We made a lot of educated, like, predictions, and uh, we were right, bro. I mean, what else What else needs to be said, man? Niggas need to say sorry, bro. That's it. That's what I'm, that's what I'm thinking. Niggas owe me a motherfucking apology. First nigga who owed me an apology, Rio. Julio Jones, what, they, what AB call him? Julio? <laughs> Julio Jones, dust. AJ Green, dust. T.Y. Hilton, dust. Rio owe me a motherfucking apology. Next nigga owe me an apology? KB. You traded for AJ Green? Goofy. Mortgage everything for Lamar Jackson? Not enough. Next nigga who owe me an apology, Kurt? Justin. Dude, I told you you didn't have enough moves, bro. Then you go mortgage all your future draft capital. To acquire Julio Jones and Zach Ertz and Keenan Allen. All those players I talked about, Kurt, after all those trades were made and I talked about how they're getting up there in age. Zach Ertz, Julio Jones. Keenan Allen is probably the best move of, of the three, but he's also, you know, reaching his latter prime years. And Keenan Allen got saved by the by the immersion of, of Justin Herbert. If it wasn't for Justin Herbert, boy, Justin would be over three in these trades leading up to the season. So, a lot of these niggas need to apologize to me, bro. And, uh, you know, uh, y'all can send that apology in the form of draft capital, you know, a young player. And if you don't want to do that, just a verbal apology in the chat is, is appreciated, bro. What do, you, what do you think, Kurt? I mean, I think that you have enough uh, draft capital now. 
your boy over here, I'm struggling in that department. So if you're going to apologize, I can accept the draft picks on, on, on you know, that send them, send them to me. Yeah, send them to me, bro. Like, send, send them to me. And I'll relay the message, bro. Like, you know, I'm going to be like, hey, Cam, they said sorry, bro. You know, that's that's what this means. That's what this draft pick means. So go ahead and send them to me. I know Justin and KB probably already traded all theirs away already, so we can mark them off the table. <laughs> Rio, I know you got about 10 picks in 2023, bro. You can send me one of those, you know. I can't allow you to accept draft picks on my behalf. Nigga, this ain't the Oscars. <laughs> so look, for, forget about it. Let's let's just let bygones be bygones. I was right. I was right. You was wrong. Should have never, never took that pig home. Yeah. Bro, you should have just kept Jones. Bro, bro. It's 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 okay to listen to advice from Someone who's made these types of mistakes before, bro, and somebody who's had success in this space. So, I mean, we have people like Ray still in the chat, you know, challenging, you know, my thought process or like my execution practices and things like that. And it's just like, right, like, what have you done to question me, bro? Like, I don't, I don't understand it, bro. It's beyond me. But uh, I just wanted to get that off my chest because I woke up this morning feeling right. So. Let's kick this episode off with what we always do, NFL news and notes. First up, Titans place wide receiver Corey Davis on COVID IR. Um, this news is, I don't think it's necessarily impactful for the owner of Corey Davis in our league because Elmo is clearly tanking. So I don't really think this hurts him, Corey Davis being out of his lineup and even if he wasn't tanking and trying to win games, I'm not sure Corey Davis would have offered enough to help Elmo do that. So let's just talk about the Titans team in general, because I don't think we've hit on this in our previous podcast, but it seems as though Titans players weren't actually following NFL protocols in their facilities. Like they weren't wearing masks and shit like around their team facility. And they had, a COVID outbreak, and not only did they not follow league protocols leading up to the COVID outbreak, bro, they broke protocol again. After they were supposed to be quarantined and after the outbreak, they were caught at like a high school football field working out together. So there are going to be some sanctions passed down to the Titans over this uh, COVID debacle, and they're going to potentially lose draft picks, have to forfeit games and things like that. What are your thoughts on this Titans COVID situation, Kurt? Yeah, I was uh, really disappointed, man, when I found out that they worked out after they had already experienced the COVID breakout. That's like the most irresponsible thing I've heard, like in terms of like uh, the way that the NFL and their teams have been operating so far. You know that they're like, you know that your players could have possibly been exposed to COVID and you're like grand ideas. Well, we're going to go sneak and practice anyway at a school. Like, Man, I just yeah that I I just I just couldn't wrap my mind around that. That just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, bro. And then one of their players, and let me spin back to the the intro and the rant that I did there. Another nigga that owes me an apology, Daniel Amaya Sanchez. First of all, I told you your team was all fucking hype, but the reason this is this is relevant to Danny's team 
This stupid ass nigga AJ Brown goes on Twitter and says, a jury couldn't even convict us with this photo. That don't even look like us. I plead the fifth. And then he later deleted the tweet. So not only is the organization negligent and ignorant, their players are negligent, lack awareness, and are ignorant. Why the fuck would he tweet that? Why would he think that was okay to tweet with all the scrutiny that's that's being put on the Titans right now after this after this um you know after this situation? Hey, bro, that man got a thousand yards and he is beside himself right now. I don't I don't know what's good with him. He needs to relax though. What what a fucking idiot, bro. Yeah, yeah, they they don't have a a tightened up culture there. I don't think, bro. And I, I saw that from the tweet from AJ Brown. There's just a lack of guidance and leadership all throughout that organization, seemingly. So I think they deserve whatever punishment they come down with. If they have to forfeit games, if they have to forfeit draft picks, I don't feel sorry for them at all. They're they're putting not just their own season at risk, but they're putting other NFL teams at risk, and they're putting the fantasy season in jeopardy. Um, so I, I'm not I'm not even sure if, if we got an update on that Bills Titans, I believe it is game coming up, but uh, that game was put on, you know, put on ice potentially due to the the continued breakouts. But I haven't heard any positive tests for the past two days, so maybe that game's good to go. So we'll see, we'll see. Um, next news item: Julio Jones mispractice all week with this lingering hamstring injury. What do you think about Julio's chances of playing this Sunday? Man, um. I don't like, I don't like the uh, the fact that he didn't practice. Um, I, I think if he was on my team, I would be planning to go in another direction. Um, I, I I don't, I don't know. I don't think he. I mean, Julio is an established player, so obviously he doesn't need to practice to to, to suit up. But I don't think that's a good sign. And uh, what is he like a, a an actual like game time decision right now? Is that what they're is that what they're calling it? Yeah, I mean, he has a questionable tag. Not doubtful yet, but it's not a, a late afternoon game or an evening game or a Monday game, so he has to be ready by noon. I just I wouldn't really feel comfortable starting him after week one. Kurt, we're looking at four targets, two catches for twenty four yards in week two, and that's a week that he actually played almost eighty percent of the snaps, so he was on the field the entire game and only put up four point four fantasy points in our format. Missed a, missed a week, week three versus Chicago, came back week four versus Green Bay. He left early. He was on the field for 21% of the snaps, four targets, four catches, 32 yards. This is just a player that I'm probably benching this week until he shows me he's healthy. What do you think? Yeah, uh, I mean, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. You know, it's with a player like Julio, it's kind of hard to leave him on your bench. Uh, but yeah, I don't I mean if he hasn't practiced all week, I, I don't know how involved he's going to be in the game if he if he does suit up. Yeah, another player, I agree, Kurt, but another player you just made me think of uh, talking about being established and not necessarily needing practice time to play. Michael Thomas got limited practices in, uh, even if he's good to go, which I doubt the team will play him because they're leading up to their week six bye. It would just make more sense for them to let him sit throughout the bye week, come back almost 100% healthy for the last stretch of the season. But uh, that's another player that I'm 
probably going to shy away from starting uh, due to the limited or no practice time, lack of practice time throughout the week. So there's that. I, I believe regarding Julio, Justin has Julio Jones on his bench in the matchup uh, with you this week. So he's already planning on moving forward without him. Let's get to the next news item here. Dwayne Haskins was benched for Kyle Allen and Alex Smith. So not only did he lose his starting job, they put him from the starting QB1 to a depth chart QB third string and gave him no first or second team practice reps. That's really bad news for a player that was drafted 15th overall just two years ago. Yeah, and you would think that the um, the leash would be a little longer for him since he was drafted so high, like just a year ago. Or the, yeah, that was that was a year ago. But um, looking at him, I mean, I know um, the news coming out of like training camp over the season was that he wasn't really doing too well uh, in training camp, and then you know this coaching staff like. They weren't there when he was drafted, you know. That's not their guy. So, I don't know. It's bad bad news for uh, for Haskins, man. I'm disappointed in Ron Rivera for this Dwayne Haskins benching. Yeah? Why you say that? Why would you start Haskins in the first place? It's clear that you wanted Kyle Allen to start. If you didn't think Dwayne Haskins was ready, why give him four starts and then bench him for the guy that you wanted to start all along? Because you're not necessarily – Necessarily is the wrong word. You're not giving Dwayne Haskins a fair shake. He's only four games into this new offense with this new coaching regime. Right. So you can't even factor in last season because he didn't play under this coaching staff or this offensive coordinator or this offense. So he's still learning it. Kyle Allen already had the leg up. If anything, you give Kyle Allen the start and then you give Dwayne Haskins an opportunity to learn the offense from a second string QB position. And this is why it looks bad, bad on Ron Rivera. And if he, Ron Rivera was white, I'd be even more critical, but he's, he's Hispanic. So I won't make this a race thing, but I do want to compare two quarterbacks. These are the first 11 starts of Dwayne Haskins career and Josh Allen's career. Josh Allen, first 11 starts. 53.4 completion percentage, 2000 yards, 10 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. Okay. Now listen to Dwayne Haskins, first 11 starts. 59.1% completion percentage, 2,164 passing yards, 11 touchdowns, 6 interceptions. So some quarterbacks are fortunate, and they get a coaching staff that will stick with them and develop them when they show some potential, which I think Dwayne Haskins has shown some potential. And other quarterbacks get unlucky, and they go to the Washington football team. Yeah. Dwayne Haskins just didn't get a fair shake. And if Ron Rivera knew Kyle Allen knew the offense, and he knew he brought in Kyle Allen to potentially run this offense, he should have started Kyle Allen and gave Dwayne Haskins the ability to develop. So now with Dwayne Haskins relegated to a third-string QB role, I mean, where does that leave his path? Maybe somebody will try to trade for him, but we've seen this, like, he probably won't get a shot to the offseason. We saw this with Josh Rosen. I mean, I, I don't know. I just didn't think this was 
uh, a fair opportunity for Dwayne Haskins with this new coaching regime. But anyway, we'll move on because we're taking a lot of time on these news and notes. I just wanted to share those. Uh, I wanted to share that uh, corollary between him and Josh Allen through four, uh, their first 11 starts. Uh, Debo Samuel saw limited snaps. His role should continue to grow. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo, back off his his injury. He's going to play week five. What does this mean for those San Francisco weapons? You know, Jimmy G doesn't really love George Kittle as much as Mullins and uh, uh, what's that other trash dude? Beat hard. Yeah, <laughs> they love throwing the Kittle. Jimmy G doesn't really love throwing the Kittle. So, so besides the potential uh, limited volume to to George Kittle or more regular regular volume as opposed to the to eighteen catches or whatever you got uh, uh, last week, what do you think this means for the rest of the San Francisco 49ers offense? Um, I mean, they should perform better because Jimmy G is better than those other guys, but I don't expect much from him because I don't think Jimmy G is very good either. So, I mean, but if the targets are going to be more evenly distributed, then, you know, some of those other weapons might have more of an opportunity to produce. But it's the fucking 49ers, bro. Who cares? Them niggas suck. They're going to run the ball a, a billion times with those three or four shitty running backs that they have. <laughs> you know, they rely on the defense. That's the game plan. So true. I've been impressed with how good their their run defense is with all the injuries they had to their defensive line. This is not a fantasy football. Um, well, it could be if you have any any running backs playing against the 49ers. But, uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, their run defense has still been really good, even after uh, the injuries to uh, Nick Bosa and uh, D Ford and, um, you know, there's Solomon Thomas, all those guys in the interior. So uh, from an offensive standpoint, I agree. All those trash ass running backs. Maybe maybe KB gets, you know, Mostert back this week and he can go back to get nine carries for 2,000 yards and <laughs> touchdowns. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't really care about that. I don't really care about Jimmy G being back. I don't think he's very good either. Lamar Jackson missed practice. Uh, I think he was limited throughout the week with an undisclosed knee injury. Are you concerned? Um. Not really, not yet. I, I need I need more information before I hit the panic button. But as of right now, like limited practice, he'll be okay. He'll play. I agree. Now, one thing I will say is, if this nigga can't run, <laughs> <laughs> bro, Lamar Jackson is averaging one hundred and ninety three passing yards a game. Is that bad? Yeah. That's terrible, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's awful, bro. Uh, yeah, I mean, in watching him play against the Chiefs um, a few weeks ago during prime time, I think the I think the the you know, I think people are kind of starting to get the hang of like what it is that that he can't do. You know what I mean? Um, so and even I think him, bro, like uh, just watching him play. His first instinct is when, when he doesn't get see that read across the middle of the field is to like scramble to like one side of the pocket so it's like if you keep him in the in the pocket and you take away the middle of the field i don't know what he's going to be able to do especially if he can't like tuck that shit and run you know what i'm saying i, I don't know i don't know what 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 that uh what he's going to look like for the rest of the season if he is limited in his range of motion or whatever because of a knee injury so yeah yeah i agree i think if he does actually and not saying that this knee injury is significant but if he ever does experience any t- any sort of lower body injury <laughs> his value is going to plummet they had a good game last week but i think from 
Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator's perspective, you draw up a run play. If the run play doesn't run, you draw up some play to Mark Andrews over the middle of the field. If that's not there, it's shake that ass time. Yeah. That nigga's running. And if he can't run, bro, uh, yeah, this is not a QB that can beat you from the pocket. He just he hasn't shown that over the course of his career. So anyway, that will wrap up the NFL news and notes items. Let's get into the Ace of Spades news and notes quickly. There's only one thing. What we've added last week, I think this will help long term. Um, and I think this is a change that's going to be here to stay. The additional matchup every week versus the league median. So I made this change and explained it briefly in the chat, but so many people have difficulty reading notes that are longer than two sentences long. So if this is how you consume knowledge via the podcast, this is for you. Going forward, not only will you have your matchup head-to-head versus your opponent, you will also have an additional matchup versus the league average that week. So that is the league average of points. For simple math's sake, if half the league scores 300 points and the other half of the league scores 100 points, that would make the league median 200 points. So you have your head-to-head matchup, and if you beat your opponent, you will get one win. If you score above the league average that week, you will receive two wins. If you beat your opponent and score less than the league average, you will go one and one for that week. So this setting takes a bit of the head-to-head luck out of the equation and should prevent bad teams from making it into the playoffs. I know one thing you've always hated, Kurt, over the course of your fantasy career, not just in our league, but in redraft leagues as well, is scoring the second most points on a given week and then having the unfortunate luck of playing the team that scored the most points that week. Did you have any comments on this new setting? Yeah, I think that's a good addition, man. And, uh, you know, like you said, it should prevent bad teams from squeaking their way into the playoffs. I mean, I've been <laughs> Rob been in leagues like plenty of times, and I think it's probably happened to me in this league before too, where I was like top three or four in scoring and like missed the playoffs, you know what I mean? So it's just, yeah, hopefully that they get rid of of that aspect uh, where you know, I just don't have like the most points scored against me. If I'm playing against the league average, I should be able to beat the league average. So, you know, that's how you should be looking at it. And all of the teams that win win games because, you know, they just so happen to play against somebody else that scored 125 points. Sucks to suck, brother. Tay Brun. Yeah, this is gonna this is gonna negatively impact teams like, you know, Tay Brown, who are, you know, bad. And um a couple other teams who have had, you know, that fortunate luck of just having a good schedule. And I don't want teams to get into the playoffs because they had an easy schedule uh, on a week-to-week basis. So that's the only ace of spades news and notes item. Let's get into some grade to trade. And then we will get into the main event of the podcast. And that will be redrafting the first round and a half of the 2020 rookie draft. Um, so let's get into this great to trade pretty quickly. Three trades to talk about. We'll run through them pretty quick. First is your trade, Kurt. Do you want to get into this one? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll break it down. So the first trade offer that was sent was Russell Gage in a fourth for Tay Brown second. That was vetoed. Uh, 
and revised to this Russell Gage head up for a third round pick. Um, yeah, I I like the trade uh, f- for me. Um, and Tay Brown got a player that he wanted, so good for him. I I don't I don't know why he was interested in Russell Gage, um, but I think a third is like fair. Like I don't you know I don't think that's like a, an overpay for it on, on either side. I agree. I, I think it's a, I think it's a fair trade as well. I have no idea why he's interested in Russell Gage, but at least Russell Gage is is young. Tabron has a team full of fucking thirty five year old wide receivers, so there's that. Uh, I think he could have gotten a better player in the third round, especially where he's going to be picking in the third round, which will be the top half of it. But you know it is what it is. I gave this trade. Uh, uh, a B for you, Kurt, just because, you know, the third round is, is generally, uh, you know, a dart throw at a player. Um, I could have actually given this a higher grade just for what I just talked about with Tabron being at the top half of that third round. Um, so maybe like a B minus, uh, a B plus, I'm sorry. And then for uh, Tabron's grade, I gave it a D plus. I don't know why I have C minus. It's, it's like a D plus just because I think um, – you have a pretty safe bet to get a player that's as good or better than Russell Gage in the top half of the third round. So we're going to do something a little different uh, when we grade these trades or break them down. We're going to add another element to the analysis, and we're going to do something called risk rating. So we're going to assess the risk associated with some of these trades made. So we do this on a scale of 1 to 10. For Tabron, the risk I associated with this trade on a scale of one to ten, is a six, just because Russell Gage is a fucking role player. So, um, like I said, I think he can get a better talent at the beginning of that third round. Uh, and then for Kurt, on a scale of one to ten, the risk I associated uh, for Kurt is is a one on a scale of one to ten, just because you know you're really good at drafting, especially you know in the in the, in the top three rounds. So I think you're going to make the right pick there. Um, and Russell Gage. You know, when you compare him to the depth chart of your wide receiver group, he was super expendable. So from a dynasty perspective, I don't think you risked anything by trading him away for a top 26 pick. Moving on to the next trade, I'll break this one down. This one is interesting, man. We have a pretty significant trade here with Ray sending my first round pick and his second round pick to Elmo for Gardner fucking Minshew. Bro, first and foremost, Ray's comments after he made this trade was, it's you podcast niggas fault. Who the fuck on this podcast told Ray to do this trade, man? Yeah, um, I think, I think, you know, people, people, it seems like Ray is, uh, he's taking in the information, but he's not really like processing it. Uh, cause he's like, oh, well, you guys talked up the value of quarterbacks. Like, yeah, we spoke on the value of quarterbacks, but that doesn't mean that you, like, overpay for Gardner Minshew because we spoke on the value of, of the of the quarterback position. Like, you have to use uh, some some logic and some reason in there. Um, and, you know, like I said in the chat, like, uh, nobody on the podcast said to pay a first and a second round pick for a, a bridge QB. Um so I, I don't I don't know how it's either either one of our faults. Uh 
But yeah, I mean, I would like for I would I would like for Ray to provide an explanation uh, as to how that's either of our for either of our fault because nobody told him to make this trade. Bro, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said Ray listens to the podcast but doesn't actually process the information because when we talk about the value of quarterbacks, we meant good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean go trade a first and second round pick for a quarterback who was drafted in the fifth or sixth round, wherever Gardner Minshew was drafted, and could potentially be replaced next season. So let's talk. Let's talk about this, and I want to make sure I'm clear on this because. I try to do this every time we have something like this happen in the league and try to go back and explain why we think, you know, certain trades are good trades and why we think certain trades are bad trades. And I want people to listen carefully, especially Ray, when we when we work through this and talk about, you know, the draft capital that he gave up versus what he received. And what it what, what fifty say, bro? And he said, uh, I talk a little fast, but if you listen a little fast, now I ain't gotta slow down for you to catch up. But make sure you fucking listen to what the fuck I'm saying, bro. So Think about this, Kurt, because from from a from an execution and process standpoint, I don't think this is like an egregious trade for Ray because he has the right idea. And like you always say, bro, right idea, wrong nigga. Mm-hmm. So if he were to trade that first and second round pick for a quarterback that we thought had a path to start for the next, you know, three, four years, or even two to three years, this would have been a solid trade. And we'll get into the risk rating of Gardner Minshew in this trade for Ray. But for starters, you're trading away a late first round pick in an upcoming draft and a mid second round pick. So for kicks and giggles, let's just say he's trading away pick 10 and pick 18 for Gardner Minshew. And for kicks and giggles again, let's say Gardner Minshew starts for the rest of this season and gets replaced by whatever rookie quarterback they draft halfway through next season. So Ray has sent away, and for fun, let us let me input players here because I pretty much have my 2021 draft ADP memorized. Let's say Ray just traded away pick 10, so let's put a player in that place. Let's say he just traded away Jalen Waddle, wide receiver from Alabama, and Max Borgie, running back from Washington State. So you just traded away a rookie wide receiver who has a ton of upside and a rookie running back who's going to have a role in some capacity in somebody's offense for the next three or four years for a quarterback who you're going to get maybe 16 total games out of. So just at surface level, Kurt, what do you think about the idea of that trade when you input the players that Ray potentially traded away for Gardner Minshew and understanding the fact that it's very possible that he won't even make it through next season as a starter for this team and take into account the situation that Ray is in with his team right now in comparison to the other top teams he needs to beat to make this trade worth it. Yeah, uh, that's, I mean, you know, that's the way I I viewed the trade initially when he did it. It's like you're trading away, you know, um, potential players for a quarterback that, uh, we're we're not sure that he's gonna keep his job. Uh, you know, next year, and um, you know, you're doing it to win games in this season, but I don't really think that you have like a great chance to win a championship this year. So, I just think that if you look at it from that perspective, it just uh, the trade doesn't really make much sense. I think like like you said, uh, 
that I say it, it was it was the right idea, but it was the wrong the wrong player that you do that for. Um, I think if if I if I were in Ray's position and I really thought that I needed a third quarterback, I would have sent that offer for a quarterback that I know is like you know like a mid tier starter, like maybe like a Kirk Cousins or somebody like that. I agree. Some even if it's a back in QB two, you trade for a player who has some investment from their team, and that can come in the form of two things, a contract or draft capital. Gardner Minshew has neither. He, so he has no stability with that organization. And, and secondly, Kurt, that organization that, and, and regime that's currently in place, they didn't even draft Gardner Minshew. So that's a very, very risky trade. So if we're getting to the grade and the risk rating for Ray, I, I give the grade a C minus. And the reason that I didn't give it a worse grade is because from a process and, and thought perspective, I think he had the right idea. He just acquired the wrong player. For Elmo, this trade is a fucking smash, A+, A++++, for multiple reasons. Elmo's not competing this year, so he doesn't need a fucking bridge QB, period. And he just acquired two picks that are going to be very valuable. This draft may not be as deep as last year's draft in the sense that you're not going to be able to find gems in the third or fourth round. Uh, like we were able to find some players in, in the in the 2020 draft, but those top 24 picks are super valuable. You just got two of them. And um, if we're talking about the risk rating, the risk rating for Elmo, the shade is a zero. Even if Minshew keeps his job for the next three years, it's a zero because of the return on investment that Elmo got for him. For Ray, the risk rating is, I put eight, but it could, it could easily be higher. It could be nine, 10. We just saw Gardner Minshew get benched for Nick Foles last year. It was also... Not good at football. So, anyway, let's move on to the third and final trade. I sent linebacker Devin Bush to Justin for tight end Irv Smith and a fourth-round pick. Uh, Talking about these two players, Devin Bush is considered uh, what we call an LB1, so a top-12 linebacker in Dynasty, just based on draft capital and production. Irv Smith is a tight end that a lot of us, and I say us, I mean like Dynasty nerds who follow – you know, like the prospect evaluations, like season long. Um, he was projected to break out this year, but I think the contract extension to Kyle Rudolph obviously kind of stunts his value a bit. And the fact that the offense currently in place doesn't utilize the tight end. So I can explain this trade from my perspective. And excuse me, I didn't get any notes from, you know, any of these teams who made trades, uh, but, but I'll speak from my behalf. I'm very deep at the linebacker position. The, the reason that I was able to make this trade and trade away Devin Bush is because my linebackers started hitting recently, uh, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. Uh, so I, I, I thought that I could, you know, um, trade away Devin Bush. I thought he'd be expendable, even though I really do like him as a prospect. I really did appreciate this type of trade, Kurt, because I think Justin is one of the few people in the league who can really appreciate the value of IDPs. And it's very rare that we see a trade like this happen in our league. So, I like trades like this, and maybe this will encourage people to look into, you know, some of these smaller incremental trades. Um, I always appreciate the fact that Justin's always looking for a way to improve his team, uh, no matter how big or small. So he's one of the only other people in the league um, beside myself who who makes like really small trades like this or incremental trades like this, uh, just trying to boost his roster any way he can. So I appreciated the trade from that perspective. Um, But yeah, uh, trading away you know, a linebacker, a producer uh, that's that's giving you fantasy points right now 
for an upside player. So Irv Smith has shown little to nothing so far in his NFL career. But if anyone's trying to learn a little bit more about how I evaluate trades or what I look for uh, when, I'm, when I'm trading for a player or a young player or buying a player at his absolute floor, this is a really good example of that. Uh, as I mentioned, Irv Smith hasn't done anything in the NFL, but tight ends take a really long time to develop, a really long time. Uh, it takes sometimes you know, three or four years for them to really show anything. And Irv Smith is a tight end who has a lot of draft capital behind him. He was drafted in the top half of the second round, and it was a really good draft class that year uh, with Noah Fant and uh, TJ Hawkinson, and he was the third tight end off the board. So I think he has a ton of upside. I'm willing to wait uh, on Irv Smith. I don't expect any production from him this season, but I'm someone who's always looking at my team in the landscape for the future, Kurt. So I see that my best tight end, you know, the number one tight end in fantasy over the past four years, Travis Kelsey, he's 31 years old. So he's not going to be around forever. Uh, so I need to insulate that tight end position. And I did that by trading for uh, a young tight end that I believe has some upside. When it comes to Minnesota in that offense, although they do not pass to the tight end, I think a coaching change is imminent. I don't think Mike Zimmer is going to be there past the season. And Kurt, this is just... An example of someone who plays very, who, who pays very, very close attention of the full dynasty landscape and takes a lot of things into account before they make a trade. So not only did I look at the potential of the player, I had an actual process around how he evaluated that talent. I looked at the value of, you know, Devin Bush and how it could benefit Justin's team. I looked at the situation that Irv Smith is in, the tight end that he's playing alongside. I looked at the contract of that tight end to see, you know, how long he was going to be you know, stunting the value of Irv Smith. I looked at the coaching regime and how they utilized that the tight ends in that offense and thought about, you know, the future and whether or not that coaching staff was going to go anywhere over the past couple of years. I mean, this is how you do due diligence before you make a trade. Yeah. And it doesn't mean I'm going to win the trade because I looked at all these things. It just means that if I lose the trade, I'm comfortable with it because I had the right process in place. Right. So... That's just a, a quick rundown of everything I look for when, when I make a trade. Justin, Kurt, you guys are always really difficult GMs to make trades with because me being in the place that I've been at the top of this league for the past five years and you and Justin always being there in terms of talent and execution, you can't lose a lot of trades uh, with, with other teams in, in, in your same tier or in, in our case, probably a tier below my team because it just closes the gap. So I try to make only like incremental trades if, if I pitch trades to you guys. So uh, this is just an example of, of one of those. But if we're getting into the trade grades, uh, I gave both of us a B because I thought this was a pretty low uh, risk trade. I think this trade helps just immediately. It's a long-term trade for me. So if we're doing short-term, long-term value and things like that, I would say obviously short-term goes to Justin, long-term goes to me. And if we're talking about risk rating associated with this trade, I gave myself a three because I'm trading away a proven commodity and a linebacker that's already producing fantasy points for a tight end that hasn't really produced anything. So I'm banking on upside. And I gave Justin a one uh, just because he's pretty insulated at the tight end position. He doesn't necessarily need Irv Smith and he hasn't really shown anything. So I think that player was expendable. Anything to add to that, Kurt? No, I think that's – I agree with both of those grades, and I think that that's, that's fair, uh, what you said about the risk rating. All right, bro. Let's get into the grand finale of the show. Redrafting the 2020 rookie draft. Now, this is actually, per Evan Silva, known around many fantasy circles as the GOAT. If you don't follow Evan Silva on Twitter, 
follow him at Evan Silva. He puts out probably the best fantasy uh, season-long content and dynasty content that I've come across, at least in the Twitter space. And he has a podcast on all streaming platforms called Established to Run. If you don't listen to anyone's podcast or fantasy analysis, you want to listen to his if you start. Um, so let's get into it. They only evaluated skill positions. So they started with the number one pick being Claude Edwards Lair. But in super flex settings, I wanted to include QBs, Kurt. So why don't we kick it off there with who should have been? Oh, actually, let me break this down a little bit further. We're doing this redraft of the 2020 rookie draft to show you guys who should have been drafted in these spots based on what we've seen through a quarter of the season. So if we could do the draft over today, this is how the draft would have gone. Is that a good way of explaining it, Kurt? Perfect. All right, so let's get into the 101, and then we'll go back and forth with these picks and talk about the prospects a bit. Will you start? All right, so if we're looking at this in hindsight uh, and we're factoring in the fact that it's a super flex league, I think it's easy to agree that the number one pick should have been Joe Burrow. Um, I mean, came into uh, the NFL like he's a starter from day one and like he's been productive so far through four weeks. He looks like the real deal, I would say. Um, The Bengals aren't a very good football team, but – he looks like he's the real deal, and he's probably going to be around for, I mean, a very long time. If you just look at the, the you know, the career span of uh, quarterbacks, especially ones with talent like Joe Burrow. So, yeah, I think it would have made the most sense to draft him at, with the first pick in the fantasy draft. I agree 100%. Joe Burrow should have been pick 101. Jamal got him at pick 10. Joe Burrow has two or three 300-yard passing games out of four already. And I think PFF graded him, you know, as as <laughs> they graded him very, very highly. And they also pointed out that he's been doing this under siege all season. So he's one of the most blitzed quarterbacks in the NFL. So for him to turn around a passer rating as well as he has, being under fire as much as he has and being hit as much as he has, I agree with you that Joe Burrow is looking like the real deal. Let's move on to pick 102. This is the player that went at the 202, 14 overall, I believe, Mm -hmm. to Kurt. um, I don't think – not I don't think. No one saw this coming. And I'm not speaking for anyone in our league. I'm speaking to all of the analysts and experts in the NFL and – in fantasy circles no one expected justin herbert to be as good as he's been through three starts um we obviously haven't had the opportunity to see to a play but justin herbert looks like the real deal and he fell into a really good situation with a decent defense and some good weapons around him on offense but like i said no one expected him to get off to uh as hot of a start as he has almost three consecutive weeks of over 300 passing yards. I think the last week was like 290 something. He had an excellent uh, week four. So uh, I know you drafted him, Kurt, in in the early second round, which is absolutely criminal given the landscape of of our format. But do you have any comments that you want to add regarding Justin Herbert here? Yeah. um, 
So when I drafted him, I was fully expecting him to compete for the starting job this year. I didn't think that he would secure it um, as soon as he did. Because I know Anthony Lynn just recently came out. They said that he he's going to be the starter going forward. Um, and honestly, I didn't I didn't really know how good he was because I I, I didn't really watch him in college. Uh, I just knew that he was a quarterback and he was drafted pretty pretty early in the NFL draft. So I figured it was worth uh, taking a a chance on him in, with the second round draft pick, and I think it's paid off for me uh, so far. Yeah. Um, before we move on to the next one, and you can just be, uh, briefly speak on Tua, but I do want to point out when we're talking about these first three picks, they're all three quarterbacks. And I think going forward, when it comes to our rookie drafts, all GMs should really, really approximate QB value better because it doesn't really make any sense for Bro to go at pick 10 and Justin Herbert to go at the 202 at pick 14 and Tua to go at the uh, at the 201 at, at pick 13 overall. So it's just kind of, you know, <laughs> you look at the two top teams in, in the league so far through, through four games this season, and uh, both of those teams were able to get solid QB3s in the second round. That should have never happened. So I think people are going to regret the value that they uh, allowed us to pick in the early second round of this past year's draft. So why don't you go ahead and get into number three, and we're going to go all the way down to 21. Yeah, so number three, uh, we have Tua. And we haven't seen him play yet, but – you know, we touched on the value of, of quarterbacks, um, especially with our league format. And, you know, uh, the Dolphins drafted him, and I'm sure they fully intend to play him um, when, the, when the opportunity is right. I'm actually like – I actually think it's a good thing that they, they, that they haven't rushed him out there uh, just yet, giving him a chance to, you know, sit back and learn the offense and, you know, get a, get acclimated to life in the NFL and everything like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, just as we said before, just given the, the format of the league and the value of quarterbacks, um, I think the smart pick with the third pick in the draft would have been to him. I agree. And let's get into the next tier because I think this player is in a tier of his own just based on the landscape of rookie running backs and receivers as well. Uh, and now we're getting into Evan Silva's rankings for redrafting the 2020 rookie draft. Clyde edwards Lair. I think that it was a coin flip regarding fantasy analysts leading into the season, whether or not they were going to take Clyde edwards Lair or the next player we're going to talk about at the 101 in non-superflex drafts. But we had uh, Damian Williams, um, opt out of the season. And even with the opt out, Kurt, I don't think I was expecting Clyde Edwards Hilaire to be immersed into this full workhorse role that he's been in the Chiefs offense this early. So you compare the market share that he's getting regarding touches with the pass catching skill set that he has and being tied to this great offense and Patrick Mahomes for the next four or five years. I don't think there's any debate that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is the one-on-one pick here uh, in non-superflex formats. Yeah, I, I mean, I would I would have to agree with you. Um, if we just look at, I mean, the offense that, that he's a part of, um, the situation, I know like a lot of people uh, thought that going into the season that it was going to be a, a timeshare between him and Damian Williams, which – I, I didn't think that that was really going to be a thing. If it was, I didn't think it was going to be a thing for very long because I don't, you know, 
I've already expressed my feelings about Damian Williams like multiple times, so I'll just leave leave that one alone. But um, yeah, just uh, watching the way that he's been able to to run the ball, and even when game script, you know, doesn't really allow for a lot of rushing, you see what he does in the past game. I think yeah, easily like this is the the guy from uh, from this draft class. I mean, he has the skill set, and he's in the best offense, so not even really debatable. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that he had a gauntlet in terms of run defenses throughout the first four weeks, and that gauntlet is over. You know, New England, Baltimore, uh, the one-plus matchup that he had week one versus the Texans, he exploded. So uh, he's going to have some boom games throughout the rest of the season. Why don't you get into the next two here, Kurt, and we can run through this pretty quickly because we've got about 15 minutes left. All right, so the pick after Clyde is uh, Jonathan Taylor, I think. You know, um, we haven't really seen a lot from him uh, thus far, but the opportunity is, I mean, should be there. Uh, he should be the workhorse back in that in that offense. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of uh, fantasy analysts uh, love his athletic profile. So um, there could be some, some upside there. I'll, I'll be keeping a close eye on him um, over the course of the next few weeks. Uh, did you want to touch on Jonathan Taylor at all? Yeah, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, we spoke about him briefly on the last episode. He's he's a traditional old-school two-down two back, in my opinion. Um, I think everybody was surprised with week one and, and the passing volume that he got, but that's gone down uh, decreasingly every single week since. So I think he's going to profile as a two-down back probably for the remainder of his career. I mean, we saw this with, with Nick Chubb. Everybody knows he was an amazing runner coming out of out of Georgia. And even though we think Nick Chubb is capable of catching passes, a lot of times the NFL will see these players as two down plotters. And then you look at, you know, people like Naeem Hines getting in the mix. Uh, uh, and then you look at Cleveland side and you got, you know, Hillard and, and, and Kareem Hunt catching passes. So uh, I think he's going to be a two down back. I think he could still be a good two down back. We haven't really seen much so far, but uh, the jury's still out on him. I don't want to put a player who's only played four NFL games under uh, such a big microscope, and that's why I think Evan Silva still had him here at the 102 uh, in non-superflex formats. Uh, so you can go ahead and get into uh, CD. Yeah, so the next pick of the draft would have been or should have been um, CD Lamb. So that's uh, pick number six. We're including the the, uh, the quarterbacks. Um yeah, I mean, I've liked what I've seen from CD thus far. Um, he's, I mean, productive, you know, uh, as a rookie, which is is a good sign. I will say, like the Cowboys, the the way that their games have been going, um, they've had to pass the ball like quite a bit. So, um, but I mean, again, I think it, it's a good thing to see him like uh, being utilized so heavily already as a rookie. Um, by the Cowboys, I think I would have to look at the numbers, but if I'm if I'm thinking about it correctly from from a week to week basis, like is he the second wide receiver like on their team uh, already, or does it seem that way? Yeah, he's he's out targeting and out producing Gallup. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, no brainer pick. Uh, the 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 Cowboys, I obviously love him. Um, he's tied to a, a good offense as of right now, and I think that you know the Cowboys do everything they can to keep that offense intact. So, yeah, I think, you know, and with the uh, six pick in the draft, like CD makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I picked them at the one Oh seven. So this is, this is pretty on par and non-superflex drafts. He's actually, 
uh, the third third player off the board and in a tier of his own. But I'll get into the next tier, which I think is is filled by by two receivers here that could go pretty much either way. But I think they gave Justin Jefferson the edge due to what he's been producing over the past two weeks. Justin Jefferson, we talked about him last podcast, so I won't get too deep into it, especially for the sake of time. But he can play inside in the slot. We saw that in his career at LSU and. He's been making big plays on the outside in the NFL, and that's what you look for in the modern NFL regarding wide receiver talent. Uh, wide receiver who's versatile, you can play all over the field and can make plays all over the field. Uh, so I think this was a great pick by Elmo. And I actually have to stop and, and apologize to Elmo. I can't be on these podcasts hyping Justin Jefferson up and just saying like how great of a pick it was for Elmo when after Elmo made this pick, I wasn't very impressed. I wasn't very impressed by this pick because I thought Justin Jefferson was just going to be a perennial slot receiver in the NFL. And they didn't play him on the outside a lot at LSU. So I didn't know if he had the skill set to be able to win on the outside. And he's absolutely proved me wrong. So I have to apologize to Elmo for, for saying this wasn't a very impressive pick. And it's looking like, you know, after C.D. Lamb, this is the easy, easy, easy choice for the second receiver off the board. I'll get into Jerry Judy quickly. He's already shown that amazing route running that we saw at the college level. Uh, I don't think he necessarily profiles as an elite wide receiver one at the NFL level. But I think he's going to be very productive in fantasy. He's been producing and commanding um, a big target share, and he's been really banged up. So I think the future is bright for these three receivers. I think CD right now is in a tier of his own, and Justin Jefferson can maybe creep into that CD Lamb tier um, to make that a 1A, 1B situation in Dynasty. But Jerry Judy is not far behind. I'm actually going to get into the next few of these, Kurt, because uh, we're creeping up on, on, on time here. So we can just both comment on these next few players. Coming in at number nine, uh, we have DeAndre Swift. Obviously, he was a top three pick in our draft. He hasn't lived up to that billing. But I said a preseason coming into the season. I'll say it again. DeAndre Swift is the second most valuable running back in this class, in my opinion, just because what he offers in the passing game in terms of skill set. I think he profiled as the best running back in this class uh, from a collegiate profile perspective. And I still believe in the talent. I just don't think we're going to see it this year with Adrian Peterson. Any comments there, Kurt? Um, no, I pretty much agree. I, I just think uh, I will. I would like to see what what happens if he starts to get some like touches, you know, some carries. I should say. Yeah, he's he's averaging a twelve percent target share, which is which is really really good when he's on the field uh, in in the passing game. So I think a coaching change is imminent there as well. So we could see his value skyrocket once he starts producing towards the end of the season if a coaching change comes. But if not, I think next season he'll he'll far outproduce what he's doing now. They've already shown us that they don't like Carry on Johnson. So when Adrian Peterson is no longer, longer there, which I imagine he will be gone after this season, DeAndre Swift is not going to have to worry about Carry on Johnson eating into any of his workload. Uh, so let's get into the number 10 pick. I was, bro, Kurt, I was so happy to hear them say this name on, on the podcast that I listened to yesterday. Coming in at number 10, even in Dynasty Superflex drafts, Antonio Gibson. I don't know where I, I don't remember where I got this player, Kurt. Actually, I can check. I got Antonio Gibson at pick thirty, and if we could do a redraft, they're saying he should have gone at pick ten in Dynasty Superflex. Curtis Gibby season, bro. I try to tell niggas at the beginning of the season, and, and nobody wanted him, and now he's gonna be tied to KOD for the next four or five years, bro. Niggas fucked up. I, I wanted him. You should have sent him to me. I tried. Yeah, but you just you just gotta make the trade. This this just was too too risky, bro. Nah, nah. Oh, it, you was scary. Yeah, I was. I was afraid, but yeah, yeah. Um, 
I think he makes sense to 10. Uh, I think, I mean, the, the path is clear for him. They got rid of Adrian Peterson, and, you know, we know what happened to guys. Yeah, I think it, I think it is. His, I think it's his turn, man. I think it's his time. I agree. And um, let's get into the number 11 pick. We have J.K. Dobbins here. This player has been very frustrating for anyone who's who's owned him even in, in redraft. I actually dropped him in the redraft league that I'm playing in. He's getting about five touches per game. That just isn't going to get it done, even in a dynamic run offense uh, that the Baltimore uh, Ravens run. So I'm a lot lower on J.K. Dobbins than the consensus, and maybe I'm just overreacting to a four-game sample size, but he's going to have to show me a lot more for me to warrant taking him over a couple of the players that that are still going behind him uh, in, in this in this uh, 2020 rookie redraft. What do you What are your quick thoughts on J.K. Dobbins here, Kurt? Yeah, I think the idea, uh, or the idea that a lot of people had in mind for him was that he would step into that Mark Ingram role, and I haven't seen anything to suggest that just quite yet. So, I agree. So let's get into the next two here. Uh, LaVisca Chanel and Jalen Rager here at 12 and 13. Uh, LaVisca Chanel is a very versatile receiver. They've used him in a multitude of ways, and he's shown a lot of what he showed at Colorado. Jalen Rager, uh, I was surprised to see him here, but thankful that they still uh, believe in him as much as I do. He's obviously been banged up so much. He had a shoulder injury, and then he had a UCL injury to his thumb. So I think he's ranked so high you know, here at the fringe first round of, of the 2020 rookie redraft just because of the potential target share he's going to be in line for. Uh, Deshaun Jackson is dust. Alshon Jeffries, dust. Russell, uh, not Russell Gage. What's that guy's name? Greg Ward. He's he's not very good. So not only is Jalen Rigger a good explosive receiver, he's going to be in line for a lot of work at the end of this season and next season as long as he can maintain his health. Coming in at 14, I was surprised here, Kurt. Uh, Cam Akers, bro. Um, you drafted him at pick five, or was it pick four? It was four. Yeah, pick four, and they have him here all the way down at pick 14. It obviously hasn't been the start that we've hoped for Cam Akers, you know, a running back that was drafted into a pretty decent situation with a good offense, not the best offensive line, but that didn't stop him at Florida State. I'll let you comment briefly on Cam Akers here because you are the owner of Cam Akers in our Dynasty League. Um, haven't seen much from him. What I have seen hasn't impressed me, but uh, I know his ribs have been injured, so we'll see what he does when he comes back from injury. I think he's supposed to come back this week. Yeah, he's, he's looking like he's going to play week five, so uh, let's get into – let's do 15 through 17, and we'll tie it off, Kurt. Uh, we don't need to get into these last few dudes. I think we can just mention their names, and then we don't have to do any type of analysis. Brandon Ayuk coming in at 15. Um, Jamal drafted him in the early to mid-second round, so this is about on par with uh, the rankings if we were to redo this draft. He's shown that he can be explosive after the catch. He is – a four-year college player, which a lot of times is a red flag. You like to look for players that declare early because that's a pretty good indication of how talented the player is. Uh, but he did start at a JUCO, so um, that does play a part in it. But you also look for college production, and he's somebody who was extremely productive in college, not necessarily until Nikhil Harry uh, went to the NFL, but uh, he had a really, really good season his final year in college. And I think it's safe for him for the next four years because that Kyle Shanahan regime isn't going anywhere. T. Higgins coming in right after at number 16. This is an absolute steal pick from KB because he got him at pick 25. That is the first pick in the third round. T. Higgins should have never fallen that far. A.J. Green, like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, is absolute dust, bro. Um, even if A.J. Green starts producing, 
he's not going to get back to the form that we saw two years ago, two and a half years ago, the last time we saw A.J. Green play a full season. So I think T. Higgins tied to a good offense with Joe Burrow continuing to get better week over week is actually going to turn out to be a really good pick for KB. And at number 17, James Robinson, the undrafted free agent out of the FCS. I don't think anybody expected James Robinson to produce in the form that he's produced over the course of the first quarter of the season. He's actually an RB1. Kurt, I'll let you comment on James Robinson because you own him in Dynasty as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, definitely uh, overperformed, like, expectations. The, you know, they, the, uh, the the Jaguars cleared the path for him pretty much uh, with, I mean, those other running backs, they, uh, yeah, I, on IR, one of them has been on COVID for, like, two years. Um, and they don't give that other big nose dude, Chris Thompson, the ball at all. So, uh, yeah, the, the path kind of clear for him. Um, and he's actually like a lot better than I thought he was. Um, not like super athletic, but he has, you know, he has some moves, man. I think he's going to be a productive pro. I don't know if he's like RB1 good, but I think, I mean, as long as the opportunity is there, he'll be like an RB2. Yeah, I think he's good money for the rest of the season, and I think uh, he he isn't going to hold on to this backfield in the in the way that he's done right now because there's zero competition there. They're going to add somebody to that backfield, whether it's going to be uh, some sort of committee they form with Delina Zigbo and Rockwell Armstead when they come back, and if not this season, it's going to be next season. He just it, it's it's for the sole fact that he's an undrafted free agent. That's just how it goes. We see Raheem Mostert; he's never going to be a workhorse for any team. We see Austin Eckler. As good as Austin Eckler is, Kurt, they drafted Joshua Kelly to be that first and second down plotter and goal back. They just don't give three down opportunities to undrafted free agents unless their name is Arian Foster. So I think he's a really good hold for Dynasty, especially with your team and what you're trying to do this season. But, um, yeah, we, we may look at him as as more of a sell, a sell high candidate uh, throughout the season, and especially in redraft, depending on, you know, what they do when those other two running backs come back. But like you mentioned, as long as he still has that workload, uh, he's good money for, for high-end RB2 or, or back-end RB1 production, especially this season with so many running backs going down due to COVID-19. So picks 18 to 21, we've got Henry Ruggs drafted by BT, Chase Claypool at 19 drafted by Ray, Joshua Kelly here at 20 sneaking into the second round after I got him in the late third, who I traded away to Jamal. And then at 21, uh, Evan Silva and team had Michael Pittman. Uh, due to the fact that T.Y. Hilton has looked awful this season. Uh, so they're looking for Michael Pittman to ascend into more of a target share and more of a, a refined role in that Colts offense. So that wraps it up for redraft in 2020. Ricky Draft, Kurt, any final comments there? No, sir. All right. So let's do... The week five preview. First, Kurt, did we have a Soldier Boy shootout for the week? Did we decide on one? I don't think I we did. We, we, we discussed a couple, but we didn't land on any. Uh, I think one of the, the ones we talked about was the Chiefs and the Raiders, and then the other one was uh, Atlanta and, and the Panthers. But I don't think we picked uh, one. All right, cool. No big deal. We'll, we'll pick one for you all next week. Sorry we dropped the ball there. So let's get into the last portion of the podcast, week five preview. Let's talk about these matchups and make our picks. First one, Cam versus Rio. Who you got, bro? Uh, I'm picking you. 
All right, Justin versus Kurt. I'll take this one. I'm going to pick Kurt. I don't remember last time you beat Justin in the regular season. Dude always finds some sort of cheesy way to beat you, bro. I almost picked Justin, but I'm going to take the momentum your team has carried through the first four weeks and go ahead and see you'll secure this win here. Denny versus Tabron, who you got? I'm picking Tabron just for the simple fact that Danny didn't pick up fucking Flacco, and now I got to play against him. Why didn't he pick up Flacco, bro? Like, Danny, bro, Danny thinks he's so nasty at Dynasty, and his arrogance is going to keep him in, like, this third tier of teams, bro. Yeah. Like, what? Does he think he was too nasty to pick up Flacco or something? Like, what is – I don't get it. I, I don't understand it either, man. Uh, But, yeah, I – AJ Brownie is super flex. Yeah, Tay Brown's gonna. I'm picking Tay Brown. Yeah, I don't. I don't blame you. I may still lean Danny here out of the hope strategy because I have Tay Brown's pick, so I hope Danny beats him. But I don't feel really good about the pick. Chris versus BT. This is a coin flip game because I think this could go either way. I'm gonna go ahead and pick Chris because I have BT's pick, and Chris got Le'Veon Bell back, so. I'm going to pick Chris here, but this is another uh, game that I think could go either way. All right, you're up next. Elmo versus Jay Mula. Who you got? Jamal. Yeah, Jamal's going to win. And that was the quickest That was the quickest pick at Elmo, bro. Hey, you can stop thinking now, bro. I think you got that pick in the bag. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, hey, he's going to keep scoring those little little bitty points, bro. Hey, you know. <laughs> little bitty points. All right, next up we got Ray versus KB. I'm going to pick Ray because he better win after he just traded a first and second round pick for Gardner fucking Minshew. Minshew better produce and get him this win. And I think KB is is setting an incomplete lineup at the moment. I believe when I check, he has an IDP that isn't playing. I'm not going to mention it to KB. Hopefully he listens to the podcast. But keep in mind, if you do not set your lineup, you are going to be penalized in the draft. One week of missing a player in your lineup, you lose a draft spot. It's not worth it. Such a full lineup. So hopefully KB listens to the podcast and hears that and addresses his lineup. But um, I don't want to see people penalize and lose draft position because they're not paying attention and don't set their lineup. So anything else you wanted to add, bro? I want to see him penalize if it means I get to move in front of him. But uh, no, nah. I mean, everybody's going to move in front of him in, in, in theory. But hey, let's do let's do one more thing real quick. We're already a few minutes over time. I got to get back to uh being more more formatted and, and organized regarding the timing on the podcast but since we already went over based on everything we know now right with all of the trades that have been made and knowing the draft capital and how it how it's shifted around the league and knowing who has multiple picks and knowing who doesn't have any picks for the next few years three years from now kurt and you can look at the power rankings to kind of find the names. Who are the top six teams in Ace of Spades three years from now? It doesn't have to be in any particular order, but who makes the top six? Um, just based on draft capital and uh, like the teams right now, I would say me, you, Danny are going to be in the top three, the top six. Um, I think Elmo gets in there. I think he'll uh, move up. Now, did you say three years or five years? Three. Okay. Um, yeah. So that makes the real one tricky, right? 
Yeah, because I if you, had, <laughs> if you said five years, I would say Rio. But uh, right. So I'm gonna say me, you, Danny, Elmo, Ray, maybe, and. I'm gonna say Jamal, bro. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's gonna Jamal be the six. Right yeah, I'm gonna say Jamal, bro. I'm gonna say me, you, Danny, Ray, Elmo, and Jamal. That that'd be the top six. I I agree, but I'm gonna swap a GM for another GM. So I have me and you, of course. Danny, I have in there. Because even though Danny's sassy and he doesn't know half of what he thinks he knows, <laughs> he's still better than half these other niggas. And Elmo, we could all be looking at Elmo in two years like, hey, bro, can I please get DK Metcalf, bro? I'm hurting for wide receiver, bro. Hey, can I get a pick? We could all be looking up to Elmo in a couple years, bro, because this dude is stacking up draft capital in really good drafts, and he already has a good core. So, Kurt, he hasn't even utilized all the draft picks he acquired, and he still has Chris Godwin, DK Metcalf, Justin Jefferson, and J.K. Dobbins. That's a really good core, bro. And he has this slew of draft picks over the next two years. So he almost definitely entrenched in there. I'm putting Jamal in there because of the way Jamal's team is built, and he has some high-end producers at the wide receiver and tight end position that are still going to be in their prime in two, three years from now. And he also has his picks throughout the years, even though he traded back into the second round. But I think he's going to be that fringe playoff team as long as he continues to execute at a high level. But I'm going to take Ray out of the top six. And Justin's going to be in the top six over Ray. You want to know why? Because... Ray makes trades like trading the first and second round pick for Gardner Minshew. Now, if we were just looking at the team Ray has and the picks that he has, you could say, yeah, yeah, Ray's going to be in the top six in a couple years. But based on Ray being included in that equation and the way that he executes, he's going to find a way to stumble and fumble his way out of the top six, bro. Well, see, like, yeah, I'll say – if if we were like if we were basing, I, I mean, yeah, if we were basing it off of like the actual GMs. Then yeah, of course, like Justin is gonna be in there. He's gonna be in the top six. But I was just basing it off of the team, you know, in the draft capital. But yeah, like no, yeah, I'm basing it. I'm basing it off every. I'm just basing it off everything. Oh yeah, Justin. If, is I'm, in if I'm asking you just yeah, if I'm asking you just a black and white question, like in three years, who's gonna be in the top six? I'm taking. Myself, I'm taking you, I'm taking Danny, I'm taking Justin, I'm taking um who did I say Elmo and I'm taking Jamal. Jamal. And I'm leaving I'm leaving KB out because his team is just going to be beyond repair after two years. Yeah. I could have I could have put BT and Chris into the top six just based on the young talent and the draft capital they have, but I'm definitely leaving them out because of the lack of activity. In the trade market, they just don't do enough. So I'm willing to bet on the fact that their mediocrity is going to carry over into the next few years as it's presented itself over the past few years. So unless they show me that they're willing to be more active and execute at a higher level and with more activity, these dudes are going to continue to be seven, eight, right on the outside looking in. 
Tabron, you already know why Tabron's on the outside. And is that it? Oh, Rio. And Rio's going to take a little longer than two, three years. So, yeah, I think those top six is, is pretty solidified. Ray's going to be on the outside looking then if he continues to make trades like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I would say, like, if we're factoring in who the GM is, then yes, of course. Like, because I would think out of the six that I named originally, I would have to say just based on experience, Ray is probably the worst worst GM <laughs> group. I, no disrespect. I just don't think that he's, you know, quite, quite, quite that savvy. I think Justin is like, even though I don't really know what his plan is going to be like long term, I figure he'll figure out a way to, you know, remain competitive. So, yeah, Justin would definitely be in there over Ray. I actually think, uh, so we can agree that Jamal is a better GM than Ray, right? Dude, yes. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, I think so too. But <laughs> yeah, Jamal. Yeah, Jamal. Jamal is a better GM than Ray. Right. Ray is like Ray is. What I will say about Ray is he's calculated in his approach. He he has like the right ideas, but he just his execution is pretty poor. And until he, you know, refines the the way that he looks at, uh, like player evaluations and the trade market, he's not going to reach that next level, bro. His execution is pretty bad. Like, we talked about the Kenyon Drake and a first for commitment. Like, you're just not – he thinks about trades and free agent acquisition and he evaluates his team just a level below a lot of niggas in the trade. He's, he's trying to make trades like this is niggas' first year in Dynasty and shit. And until he matures in that approach – He's he's gonna be like a bottom five GM, bro. Even though I thought he made some really good moves leading into the season, but doesn't need to hit on there. Anyway, that's the show. That is the show. Sorry, we went over about ten minutes uh, like we did last week, but uh, we'll try to keep it under sixty minutes when we do the week five recap next Tuesday. Anything else you want to add, Kurt? Nope, I'm good, man. Hey, hop in the chat, everybody, and let me know y'all's thoughts on who's going to be in the top six, you know, two, three years from now. I'm curious to see what everybody has to say. And anybody who wants to argue with being left out, just find you something safe to do, bro. <laughs> that's that's my new phrase, bro. Niggas want to come in here and argue. Like, we already talked about our preseason predictions and how those are looking right now. I mean, we're delivering valuable content, Kurt. I mean, this is this is valuable content, bro. Just think about all the shots we called at the beginning of the season and how many of them were accurate, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, honestly, the people who, like, actually could make a case for, you know, possibly being a, a top six GM, they're not even active enough to make an argument. So, like, I mean, like, they, you know, they're not going to – Chris and BT, they're not going to argue about anything. And – Tabron, like he he's gonna be where he belongs, bro, in a few years, and that's twelve. So, <laughs> hey, we've been we've been ranking Tabron twelve every year for the past three years, bro, and this nigga always finishing like in the top six, bro. But yeah, I'd be interested to hear some people's thoughts about you know where they rank. But I just wanted to call out the fact that man, we we've, we've done a pretty good job of assessing the landscape of our league and calling things and giving people pretty accurate advice as it led into the season. We obviously have a long way to go, but I'm pretty impressed with the uh, the insights we've been able to share thus far. Anyway, I'm rambling. Drop the outro. Holla at you boys later. And remember, 
It's up there and it's still stuck there. Peace. <laughs>